Good morning. Um, my name is Trent Walker. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to uh, kick off a new sermon series this morning. It's, we, don't, we don't do topical here very often. Uh, we usually do what's called Lectio Continua, which, which is to take a book of the Bible and, and walk through it. So we get to hear and see how the author develops things. Uh, but every now and then, we'll, like, we're, we're going to be in our core values for the next this week and then five more after that. Um, so you really can't be Lectio Continua with, with, with core values, but um, we are going to use this. We're going to let the scriptures speak for themselves and then highlight some things that, that, that work with these particular core values that show up in the scriptures. All of these are based in a scriptural concept, principle, or truth. Those are all the, they're all the same. I'm not saying that there's a concept that's not true. Uh, but let me, just two things before we get into the message. One, if you had the opportunity uh, last week and chose not to, not to come Wednesday night for the gather, um, I would encourage you to try to say yes this week and come. We had, I don't know how many people were there exactly, but I know that from dinner to the worship time to the, um, the community groups, we had, it, it, was, it was fuller at dinner. It was a little bit less at the worship time, but, but 74 people stayed around to participate in a community group to talk about what the message was. And um, I'm going to call him pastor in training, Kyle Borst. Um, Kyle is a He's our men's ministry coordinator or supervisor. I don't know what his last part of his title is. Director, thank you. Um, but he did a, you know, he, he, he get, I'm not saying he gets nervous, but, but it's not his bailiwick. It's not what he, it's not where he finds himself often, but he decided to put himself out on the line and to risk to do something that makes him uncomfortable. And he brought a God-centered, gospel-centered uh, challenge of what it means as Christians to be a friend to your neighbor. It was, it was all, he did a great job. And this week, we're going to hear from Caden Blackburn, who's a 20-year-old young man who's our uh, young adult intern here. Um, I'm going to miss that one. I'll be down in Georgia this, this coming week. I leave uh, soon after the services this morning. Um, but I will find it on Thursday morning uh, via our website, and I, I want to hear what Caden, what God has to say through Caden. The other thing is this. Um, I was emailing back and forth with my friend Rick, who's sitting right over here uh, this week, and he's like, am I going to, if I show up on Sunday morning, will I get a chance to see you? And I'm like, if you come early, because I leave. And if you're relatively new here, about twice a year, we remind you that this is what happens. There's another service right across the hall that starts in 11 minutes. Um, so here, the, whoever's preaching typically on a Sunday morning preaches at the first half of this service and then walks across the hall, takes his jacket off, and then, uh, and then preaches at the second half of the service that's over there. Because there's these golden hours in church work. It's 8.30 till 10.30 start times are kind of when people will actually show up. So if you see me walk out, it's not that I'm done with you. It's that I get about a five-minute break and then I start all over again. And it is really kind of confusing because you have have to remember, because a half an hour break is different, but when you get, when you get five minutes, you, when you start speaking, you're like, did I already say this? Because it, it, you just did a few minutes ago. So just as an FYI, just a couple of times a year, I remind people that that's, that's what the, uh, the practice is here. Next week, though, Pastor Doug, I believe, is in here, and we're having our seminary intern uh, speak next door, so he will be able to sit, I'm jealous, he'll be able to sit through the entire service 
here. So uh, let me pray, and then we're going to get, we're going to, our passage today is going to be in John chapter 9. We're going to do the whole chapter. It's just a beautiful and awful story of how religious people treated a man who had something wrong with them, and God glorified himself in, he, in his healing. But you'll see the interaction, and I think it's a good thing for us to, to take note of that we don't want to be we often identify ourselves with the victim or the hero in a story, but not often as the villain. But it would be wise of us to ask ourselves this question on occasion. What if I'm the bad guy? So this won't be accusatory. It'll just be you'll be able to see what's happening, and hopefully we can adjust how our eyes and our filters for other people based on how Jesus interacts uh, with this man who was born blind. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you for everything that you do for us, for everything that you do in us, for everything that you do through us. And Lord, it is easy for us to see what you've done for and in, but sometimes we get confused or we get a little trepidatious about what you want to do through us. So Lord, speak to us this morning. Come Holy Spirit. We don't believe in your absence, but Lord, show up in a way now that your people hear what you want us to hear. Let this be your message for us, not my message to them. That give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to receive. Stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, and speak your words to your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So the core value today, the core values are, are, are values that, that, that everybody, everybody has core values whether you name them or not. And the core values are the things that not that you say you believe, but that you, but you say you believe and you behave. So one of the things that's hard in a church um, is, is this, and it's a buzzword, I don't, like the, I don't like the word, but we can't find another one yet. Um, it's called empowerment. And so I'm just going to read you what the core value says, and then we'll, we'll look into this uh, John chapter 9 passage. We believe that God wants to work in you. If God has his hand in your life, we believe that God knows better than we do, and we will trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Our job is to come alongside and be a part of what God is already doing. Now, sometimes we have plans for others, and I joke with the staff every now and then when I, uh, like, there's, we've got a bunch of staff in training right now um, for potential, if the Lord so calls them, uh, to, to seek ordained office in the future. We're having this idea that we want to provide for the church to come, not just for who, what, what someone might do for us here and now. Um, but some of them joke and say, well, Trent made me come to this thing. Trent made me take this class. Trent, And I'm like, yes, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Trent. Um, but it, we can do this, right? We can, we can kind of get this idea that this is the right thing for this next person. This, this is the right next step for this, for this person in their spiritual journey, in their social journey, in their, their, just their growth. But sometimes God has an idea that's different than the idea we might have for someone. And we can get kind of bucky when someone isn't following our plan for them instead of God's plan for them. So the passage says this. Well, here, the job description of a Christian, John chapter 3, verse 35. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 
So our goal is to be, is, to, is, is not to condemn, but to care, not to beat down, but to lift up, and not to judge, but to empower. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't call out sin. It doesn't mean that we have to back off and be wishy-washy about everything, but it does mean that our motive for someone should be Christ's love for them instead of, I want you to look different, to smell different, to speak different, to vote differently than you do right now. It, it's finding, meeting someone where they are, and in the truth and the love of Christ, calling them to be, to live into what they've already attained in Christ. So the passage reads like this. We'll read part of it, stop. As he went along, this is Jesus. As he went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, that's, we, we all behave this way. We, we know it's not true scripturally. We know it's not true doctrinally or theologically. But we kind of think if something bad happens to someone, they must have done something bad. So what is, what's the unconfessed sin in your life? That kind of thing. But if I do good, if I'm faithful to God, no bad things happen to me. I never suffer, da 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 We know that's not true in scripture, but we kind of behave that way um, because it's predictable. Jesus' answer is, uh, this, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, if you're a theological junkie or a Bible nerd, you might read this, this sentence and go, <sighs> who sinned that this man was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this is happening that the work of God might be displayed in his life. If you're the man born blind, are you going to have a little issue with that theological concept that I suffered up until this point in my life so that Jesus could come and make himself glorified? Just got to tell you, there's a weird translation here, um, and I get why they picked it. Neither this man nor said Jesus, uh, but this happened that the work of God, I got to tell you, it Based on how John uses that phrase elsewhere in the Gospel of John, remember Scripture interprets Scripture, it should read like this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. This happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is his day, we must do the work of, of, he who sent, of him who sent me. So he's not saying that God chose to make this man suffer so that one day when I walk up, I can heal him and everything's better. He's saying it's not because of sin. It's not because of anyone's individual sin. It's the fallen world that we live in that people, and blindness was way more common back then than it is now. Because of sanitation issues, because of viral issues, even conjunctivitis can blind someone, as pink eye, if you don't get those little drops. So having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. He said, go, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, the word Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man? I don't know. So when they, the, the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus had, had, had begun to develop some notoriety. 
People were hearing rumors or, or whispers or, and some, some started, and you'll see that in a minute, some started going, I, this guy hasn't been cleared through me yet. We're not so sure that he is who he claims to be. Um, so this, this, this man who was born blind, who gets healed after someone made some mud with spittle. Now, just so you know, in that, in the first century, uh, spittle was considered to be something that had medicinal or healing value. So think about it like this. If you got a cut as a kid, um, it would never happen now. It happened to me down in Georgia back in the day. But, um, you know, your mom... Or, if, you know, your kid, you fall down, you fall off your bike, you scrape up your elbow. You know, you're going to try to, you got to wash it off. So you, not uncommon then, not uncommon today, although you just don't want anyone want to watch you do it. And when your mom goes like this, or some people, it's this, and they, they, they clean you up. So spittle was seen as something that could clean you up. So that was not uncommon for someone to use spittle to make a little paste, to put it on someone's eyes. But it was uncommon for a man who was born blind to be able to see again. So some of the people think he's not, just so you know what to watch for, some of the people think Jesus is not from God. Others think he must be. Um, there's a, it's a good debate. It's not a bad thing, but what about the trustworthy religious people of the day? They brought, the man, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had, been, who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, and I washed. Now I see. Love this guy. Very laconic. Very just to the point. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. And what, have you, what do you have to say about him? It is your eyes that were opened. Okay, odd place for this man to, to find himself. Do you agree? Wakes up one morning begging. Some guy hears that he's been blind since he was born. He comes up. <clears throat> go to the pool. And I'm guessing if he's seen anything at that point, it's just mud. And he goes off to the pool of Siloam. So Jesus... Gives him a command, he obeys the command, he washes, now he can see. And now he has to defend the very one who gave him back his sight. He's got to be a witness, or a, he has to give testimony to who he thinks this man is. Now, the entire interaction, as far as the story goes, with Jesus was, you're blind? Yep. Go. That's it. So what does he know about the guy? He knows one thing. I was blind. This is what he did. Now I see. This man replied, so they asked, you know, your eyes are open. What do you say about him? He goes, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he... Now he can see. We know he's our son, they answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or, how, or, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that, that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. 
That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Imagine being that young. I'm assuming he's young if they went to his parents and they say he's of age, so he's old enough. He's been bar mitzvahed. He's old enough to speak for himself in the synagogue. You imagine if you're, I don't know if he overheard when the parents came in or not, but can you imagine your parents? Like, yeah, he's our son. Okay, good. They're with me. And he was born blind. Yep, they're with me. He can see now. They're with me. We don't know who did it. Ask him. Doesn't it feel kind of like they, like, here's a bus. So this man who had an interaction with Jesus Jesus did something to him, gave him a command. He obeyed it, and he reaped the benefits of obeying the Lord's call, the Lord's command in his life. And now he has to defend himself to the most important religious people of the day. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I just love the fact that he got guts here. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now, I don't know, we don't know for sure if that was permanent. If they threw him out of the synagogue, they went through an uh, excommunication service, uh, a a long pattern of accusations and defense and da-da-da, kick him out. But it's what his parents were afraid of. I love that he gets guts. I do. I love the fact that he's like, look, all I know is what I know. And if you're going to accuse me of being his disciple, when all I said is I think he's a prophet and he healed me, I was was blind. Now Now I can see. I was in darkness and now I'm in light. You see what John's setting up here? That's a big theme in John, darkness and light. Here's a man born in darkness, blind. Now he can see light has come. He goes to the very people who were supposed to be full of light, who, have, who claim to have spiritual eyes to see, but they are the ones seemingly, and we'll see what Jesus does here in a minute, in darkness. And they, they go from questioning to accusing, to looking for a way to convict, to just telling him who he was. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a young man. He's not young anymore. Um, let me see. I'm 57. So he, he's probably 47. Um, but he was one of my youth group kids But when I was back at Hardaway Christian Reformed Church. This was back in like 1991 or two. He was a, a middle schooler at Holland Christian Middle School, and he messed up. He I just, first name is Chad, not his name. Just use that for the ability to say something other than he. He he brought 
booze that he stole from his dad. Dad was a cop in the area. And he put it in his locker when he was in seventh grade at Holland Christian. And he was bragging about it. Kids told, narked, whatever word you want to use. And he got in trouble. And he didn't get expelled, but he did get suspended for the rest of the semester. By the time he got to high school, he was that kid. He was the kid that if your, your son or daughter came home and said they were, they were friends with Chad or Chad wanted to take them to a dance, if it's a girl, um, that they'd get, nope, that's, that's not going to happen. Chad's the guy that you know might be a bad influence on your kid. Chad's the kid that when you see his parents, you try not to judge them. Now, I know that that would never happen with anybody in this room. We never have a thought like that. There's never a place that we drive through that we lock the doors and roll up the windows. There's never a time when we are judgmental in any way toward another person. But I can tell you what that does to someone because Chad came every single week. Chad went on every trip we went to and a group of people surrounded him and decided that we're not going to treat him the way by who he was. We're going to treat him by who he is. We're going to, see, Chad started living down to the expectations that people had of him. So I'm already the bad guy, and yeah, he might have done something stupid when he was younger, but when he came, when he, I might as well deserve it. Any guys, okay, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I, there was a time, this is terrible about, maybe it's just me, but I think it's men in general. When, when I first got my first cell phone, I had to go to Lansing for something, and I'm coming back. I'm in a little Toyota Tercel wagon, all-wheel drive wagon. It was the ugliest car you've ever seen. It looked like it had a little TV on the back. Stick. And I'm coming back, and I get near the 28th Street exit area uh, coming on 196, or on 96, and uh, it actually is, it doesn't matter. Uh, and and I, would, I, I, had to, I had to hit the brakes pretty hard, and they weren't good brakes. And I, for an hour, I never pulled my car out of first gear. And I told my wife I'll be home for dinner at 5.30. And I'm like, okay, it's going to cost me two bucks, but she needs to know. So I'm going to call her on my uh, Microsoft, or, yeah, Motorola StarTac with that great big fat battery that was hanging on my hip. And I called her and said, hey, I'm stuck in traffic. I'm not going to make it home. She goes, well, you, you said you'd be home at 5.30. I'm like, no, I'm not. In my head, it's not my fault. I didn't. I didn't get in the accident. I didn't. I didn't create the construction. It wasn't here on my way. But she's just this utter disappointment. Going to be a nice family dinner, and I hung up the phone. I'm a little, you know, I'm probably 32, 33 at the time, and I'm like, I'm in trouble. I should go catch a movie. <laughs> Went through my head. Not proud of it but I'm already in trouble. I might as well deserve it. I'm in trouble for something I did not do. So now it's kind of a free pass, right? Now, I know that none of you would ever have thoughts like that. That's why you laugh because it was so absurd that it would never cross anybody's mind. But think about it this way. Are there people that you know what they've done? Who they used to be? And can you see what God is doing in their life, and can you be a part of what God is doing in, your li in their lives, or are they just now, you never say it, irredeemable? Think about your friend that cheated on their spouse. 
Think about someone who abandoned their children. Think about someone who, man, life got tough and they just went down the rabbit hole with some kind of addiction. Or think about the person that you loaned money one time, they promised to pay it back, and they forgot. And they come to you and say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Can you celebrate or are you suspicious? Because I can tell you one thing, according to the scriptures, love is not suspicious. So if empowerment, we'll finish the story here in a second. We believe that God wants to work in you. And if God has his hand in your life, we believe that God knows better than we do and we will trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Our job is to come alongside and be a part of what God is already doing. We don't condemn, we care. We don't beat down, we lift up. We don't judge, we empower. The story ends like this, and this is, if you, if you really want the, the, the technical word for this, um, Jesus becomes what he, when, he, when he promises that he's going to send us a counselor, the Holy Spirit, in John 14, the word he uses is paraclete. And a, and a paraclete in that day and age had three roles. You either trained with your paraclete if you're a warrior, and you tie a strap around you when you're training. It's called the tie that binds. Um, and and if, if I would thrust, I've got, I've got armor here and here, and I've got a helmet, I've got a spear, a shield. But if I go like this, my back is exposed. Someone's got to cover my six. That's what a paraclete's job was. And he covered your six, you covered his. The other, the other way you could look at it is uh, um, like a defense attorney. That's what Jesus does here. He takes a good defense attorney will take the accusations thrown at you and turn the accusations back on the accuser. The third role of a paraclete, which isn't the one we see here, but the third role of a paraclete is um, like a coach or a training partner. So my sister-in-law, Cindy, ran the Boston Marathon years ago. She had an injury. She'd never done a whole marathon. She, was, she, she hit the wall. She wasn't going to finish. She, her, her family, her, wife, uh, is, is her husband and three kids were at just past the halfway mark, and she's going to, look, as soon as I make it to halfway, the money I raised, I've raised. I'm going to just go home with my family. But a friend of hers, Elizabeth, um, kind of a local celebrity, and uh, she knew what it's like because she's a big runner, and she stepped into the race. She had a guest pass, gave Cindy a sport drink, put her hand behind her back, never touched her, and said, if you can push through the next two miles, you'll make it all the way. And Cindy was able to go further with her paraclete than she was able to go alone. That's one of the ways that, that, that we can be assured of the, of the work of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives. We become more the man or woman that God wants us to be than we would be able to do alone. In this case, Jesus acts like a defense attorney. I just think this is brilliant. And the author here, all the different plays on light and darkness, on, on blindness and, and sight. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world. So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. 
Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. We don't talk about that very often in the church, that Jesus says, for judgment, I've come into the world. Now, here's this man who was dependent upon the, the good will of his community. He sat somewhere, probably moved around day to day. We see people like that over by the Wendy's, um, over near Meyer all the time, panhandling. He was completely dependent. He could not work completely dependent on other people to stay alive. So he's someone to be pitied. He has an interaction with Jesus. Jesus commands him to do one thing. He does it, and he receives his sight. So he's now restored not only in body, but now in community. And some people are confused, like, how could that be? And no one's ever heard of someone born blind receiving a sight. Sometimes there's some other stuff that happens. Someone loses their sight, it heals up, and they get better. Um, but here's this man that we should be celebrating with. Anyone should, you kidding me? You could, you've never seen anything in your life, and now you can see? What? But people are like, I don't know if it's him. And who did it? I... It's a little weird. Let's go to the good guys. Find out what they have to say. And they question. That's fair. There's a bit of a debate. That's fair. But then when he gets guts and says, I don't know, man. You tell me. They accuse him. You don't have a right to speak to us. And then Jesus takes those accusations that were hurled at the man and throws them back on the people who are now, who are, who claim to see but are blind. So my question is this, how are we? Do we ever ask ourselves in a certain situation, what if I'm the bad guy? What if, what if I'm the one that sees this wrong way? What if I'm the one who thinks I can see and I'm blind? Because I can tell you this, in my own experience, it is way harder to trust the Holy Spirit's work in someone else's life than it is to trust the Holy Spirit's work in mine. And I can tell you, I'm that guy who has a past. And every time someone shows up at this church that I went to high school with or the first two years of college, I'm like, uh-oh. What are they going to tell our people? What are they going to remember? Are they going to look at me and go, you have no right to be in a pulpit? And they're right. I don't. The only right I have to be standing up here telling you what John says to his people and reminding you that God is saying the same thing to us is the blood of Christ. It is either sufficient to forgive me my sins or it is not. And if it's not sufficient to give someone else a fresh start, when someone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. If it's not sufficient for them, then it is not sufficient for me, and I'm doomed. So if grace is something you have received, if mercy is something you celebrate in yourself, then to behave like Jesus did, when you hear the testimony of someone, when you hear that someone, something has changed in them, it's to come alongside and be a part of what, of what God is doing. That is our call. It's not to go, hmm... I'm not so sure you still owe me 20 bucks from 1987. 
because love keeps no record of wrongs. So as a church, one of the things that we will not compromise on, we're going to try to look for ways that God is working in someone's life and join him instead of having someone change to be the way we want her to be and then ask God to bless that. That is functionally atheistic. To do things and then ask God to bless it instead of asking God, what are you doing? Where are you headed? We want to join you in that journey. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. We say good things about you. And we know that at the end of every service, we receive a blessing. That means you are saying good things about us. But the difference between us and you is that if you say it, it is. And Lord, I thank you for the work that you did in Chad's life. I thank you for the work that you've done in mine. And Lord, for all those people who are in relationship with that you're working in, give us eyes to see it. And give us the humble heart to ask ourselves, what if I'm missing something? Where is God in this? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.